1776, July the 4th, the Second Continental Congress came in session, and they adopted what we know as the Declaration of Independence, in which they declared the colony's independence from the crown of England. We know these words. We hold these truths. We, meaning the colonies of that day and all of us, these truths, not one truth, but many truths. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That means you don't have to explain them. Uh, these are shoes. I don't have to say, I want all of you to know and explain that these are shoes. The shoes are self-evident. These truths that they adopted were self-evident that all men are created equal, not just men, all people, all personalities, all citizens are created equal. They are endowed by their creator. Now, equal means not all exactly the same. Equal in the sense that everybody was a person, everybody was a life. And they were endowed, this means that was the built-in part of it. They were given by God certain built-in things, and we discovered they are inalienable. The word unalienable were used originally, inalienable was thing, and they move it back and forth. It means that these rights cannot be transferred. They're built in, given by God, inherit to everyone who is a citizen in the colonies and in America today. And among these truths, the first one, is life. Without life, all the other rights, all the other privileges, all of the basic fundamental truths upon which we are privileged to have in our country and in our lives, they make no difference. They're totally irrelevant. It begins with life. And as we think about the cultural war in which we're in today in our America, the basic fundamental battle is the battle for life. We live in a culture of death, make no mistake about it. And we would like to live in a culture of life. That would be our challenge. But we live in a culture of death that is described by Jesus in John 10.10. 10. He said, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's a picture of the culture of death, is it not? To steal, to kill, to destroy. But Jesus says, I am come to give you a culture of life. I am come, he said, you might have life and not just breathe, but you may have life overflowing. You may have life abundantly. So there we have it.
the culture of death and the culture of life. And our culture and the most fundamental battle we have to face in the United States of America today is the battle for life. The number one moral problem in America today, nothing else is in second or third place. The number one problem is that no longer is life considered safe and secure in the womb of the mother. Motherhood, to be a mother, is the most demanding job on the planet. To be a mother is the least recognized, rewarded job on the planet. But to be a mother is the most important job on the planet, without any question about it. And mothers instinctively have a love for children, a feeling to protect their children, to give their life for their children, to pour everything into their children. It, it, it's that maternal instinct that, that mothers always have. You can't measure it. it. It is bigger than any standards we have to understand it. A mother, that instinct is not only in humans, you find it also in animals. You go in the animal world, you find this same kind of mama drive to protect and care for the little ones. Look at the elephants. When a mother elephant has a little elephant, that little elephant stays right by that mother. And elephants move in circles, they move in families. And therefore they move out in families and that baby elephant stays right by that mother elephant and dare anyone to interfere or disturb that baby, you've got an elephant on your hands. The mother elephant. What a powerful, instinctive thing you see there. And you see it all the way through the animal world. Look, look at the kangaroo. The kangaroo carries a newborn about, about every 250 to 300 days. And in those days, a little kangaroo is born. It can be as small as a grain of rice or as big as a bee. And the kangaroo takes that little infant babe and puts it in his pouch and it stays there for 400 and 500 days. That little joy until it comes out and it is a beginning baby kangaroo. Skin to skin as that baby develops. Kangaroo. And we also see that in panda bear. Did you know a panda bear is born, weighs on about three to five pounds? A panda bear. And that mother panda takes that little bear and carries it just like a female mother would for about three months until that little bear can walk and take care of himself. The protective love of a panda bear for its mother. Looked at all the octopuses. By the way, it's not octopi, it's octopuses. I saw some scholarly person talk about octopi. They're no octopi, they're octopuses. Look it up. And when the octopuses lay their eggs, the mother octopus stays with those eggs and they lay many of them until every egg is hatched. 
And that mother octopus just hovers all those eggs. And sometimes it takes four or five years. And when all the eggs are hatched, the mother octopus dies of starvation because she's done nothing but watch over her eggs. But of all the animals, the whale, the mother whale there with little calf is most protective of all the animals we know anything about in that world. The mother whale, when that little calf is born, that calf stays right by that mother whale. The calf doesn't sleep for three days. The mother whale stays awake for three days. Every mother here can identify with that. And then that little baby whale stays with that mother the rest of its life. Whales stay together as family in their pods. What a protective environment. I read this and I thought about, remember August uh, 2018? We, we saw that whale that was located by, by someone uh, there in the northwest coast of our country between U.S. and Canada. There's that whale that uh, a baby calf had died, but the mother kept taking the dead baby calf and keeping on its back, remember, and the Ge National Geographic was there and all the news media were there, and we tracked this whale. And they named the whale Taliqua. And then they identified the whale, and, and they called the whale J-35, and they followed it and followed it for 17 days. It refused to give up on that dead baby that calf and bounced it and carried it on its back 17 days over a thousand miles. Such was the love, instinctive built-in love of that mother whale for that baby whale. She knew that when it went down, it would never come up again. And in human life, my how passionately the instincts, the maternal instincts of mothers have for those babes that they carry. Back when Roe v. Wade was first passed, 1973, a teenage girl was in college. She realized she was pregnant, but she was determined to carry that baby full term. She knew if her parents discovered she was pregnant, they would force her to have an abortion that only recently had become legal. So she hid her pregnancy for five months. When her folks found out, they demanded that she get abortion. And she fought and they took her to the doctor and finally she was on that table there and she was begging that she could keep that baby, her baby. And they said no. And the doctor performed an abortion in those days. You remember, they used a saline solution. And they would put that solution in a little pouch that was constructed by God to keep the baby alive in the period of growth from fetus through the various stages. And that saline solution would come and scald the skin of the baby. They call them... Uh, uh, candy apple babies because they'd be red. It would scald all the skin and then the saline would go in the organs and the baby would die. And, and then they would uh, have uh, forced the birth to take place. But this little baby swam around there and fought for life for five days until they finally thought 
the baby was dead and they induced labor and the baby was born, one of those candy apple babies as they call them, but the baby was still alive. What was the doctor to do? In order not to be a failure, he took that little candy apple baby that was still alive and put it in a secret closet, closed the door and left it there, knowing in time it would die from neglect. The passion for life. The number one moral problem today, ladies and gentlemen, in the world and in America is the lack of the passion for life for a baby to be protected in the womb of the mother. You know the most insecure place in the world today? Where is the place that you would go you'd be most fearful for your life? Some foreign country on the front line of some battle that's being fought. You could name all places. We'd be frightened for our life. There's no place where death is more prominent than in the womb of a mother. That's the most dangerous place a baby, a person could be because every out of every four pregnancies in America, one of them, a life is taken in the womb of the mother. There's no place more dangerous than that. On death row is not more dangerous than that because it goes out for many, many months Lower, longer than the nine months. Those nine months are the most precarious months any life would have to be sustained. We live in a culture of death, a culture of death. To see it in true proportion, let's get some modern statistics that we can look at. Planned Parenthood is the most demonic organization I know anything about on the face of the earth. From October the 1st, 2017, October the 1st, 2018, Planned Parenthood had a record number of murders, abortion, 345,672, highest number. Going into 2018, Planned Parenthood net assets were 1.9 billion. At their board of trustees, their, their net assets had increased to 2. billion. They had a tremendous year. We, our taxpayer money, gave to Planned Parenthood last that, that year, 616.8 million dollars. Last year, Planned Parenthood did this many abortion in the United States of America, 2018, our last statistics, there were 876,000 plus abortions. Since Roe v. Wade, there's been over 60 million abortions in the United States. Last year in the world, there were over 30 billion lives taken in the mother's womb. We're worried about COVID. We think, oh my goodness, look at all the people who are dying, and they are, some 200,000, but proportionately. And there's no vaccine for the killing of babies in a mother's womb. There's no vaccine for that. 
This is an ongoing activity, almost hidden, smoothed over. It's legal. It's okay. A hidden activity in the culture of death in which you and I now live. It is the number one moral problem that we face. Well, you say, let's talk about the real significance of this thing. First of all, we have to understand something about life. Everybody here, every conception, every life is created in the image of God Almighty. We're created in his image. We see that in Genesis chapter number one. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our image and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over all every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God put his stamp, he built his image into every single life at the very moment of conception. DNA, blood type, everything is there at the very moment of conception. I want you to look at something. I want you to look, this is a representation of an egg. When the sperm meets that egg, and there is fertilization in the womb of the mother. At that moment, there is a flash of light. I think it's a flash of the creative God saying that a man and a woman have come together along with God and there is a being brought in the very image of God. Look at this flash of light represented here, bam. Life, life, human beings, persons are created within them with the very image of God. And so we ask the question, well, where was God, let's say, during the Holocaust? I'll tell you where he was. He, were, he was with those people and God was guest along with them. That's where he was. He's always there in our moments of extremity. He is always present. And we're made in the image of God, but that image has been marred by your sin and my sin. And so when we come to Christ, that image is being recreated in us day by day by day. That's the growth in the Christian life. That image is growing. But the day of judgment, Matthew chapter 25. Remember Jesus divides those who are being judged with the, with the sheep and the goats. And let's say this is the goaty section we have over here. And here's all the goats. And Jesus says to them very clearly in that time in which, by the way, truth is there. In judgment, there's no spinning around. Well, let me have, no, no. Truth is there. Truth about every one of us. 
And Jesus said to the goats, he says, I was hungry and you didn't give me anything to eat. He said, I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. He said, I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. He said, I was naked and you didn't give me clothes. I was in prison. He said, you didn't come to see me. And he could have said, I was in the, your womb and you allowed someone to kill me. Jesus said, if you have treated the least of these, is there anything smaller or more insignificant than a little baby in the womb of its mother? A little feed, anything more insignificant. Jesus said, if you have mistreated one of the least of these, you have mistreated, you have done it unto me. Jesus said, it's better to take someone who has misused a child, a baby, and hang a millstone around their neck and throw them in the bottom of the ocean than to let them live. You think God Almighty doesn't take the sacredness of life, doesn't take the fact that we're created the image of life seriously? By the way, folks, there's no middle ground here. There's no middle ground. You're either pro-life or you're pro-death. There's absolutely no middle ground. All this thing, the first trimester, that's a bunch of mess and baloney and the propaganda of Satan. You're either pro-life or you are pro-death. We're made in the very image of God. You say, well, how did God make us in his image? The Bible tells us, and it's such a powerful verse that he gives us here. He says in, in the book of Job, he says, Job 10, verse 8, your hands fashioned and made me altogether. Isn't that something? And you would destroy me. Remember now that you have made me as clay, and would you turn me into dust and then? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? Clove me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and loving kindness. We are created by the very hand of God. In other words, when you were born and I was born, God himself individually shaped and formed every single human life, made his image, and he shaped it. You read that in Psalm 139. You see that he, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. He shaped all of us. What a fabulous thing. And those pro-choicers, those abortionists, they say, well, I, I'm going to tell you, you look inside and you see only a wad of cells. Let me tell you something. Every one of us alive here, we're wild of cells. Everything about me and you, from my hair to everything, we're all cells. Everybody here, you're just a bunch of cells. You are a wad of cells. But the difference is, as with a fetus, as with a babe in the mother's womb, as with all of us, those cells are alive. It's an organism. It's life is in those cells. By the way, when... The law was passed that legalized abortion. 
It's interesting, they had a problem with the 14th Amendment. For the 14th Amendment says every person has to be protected and have due process under the law. Well, they can't argue the fact that life begins at conception. But they had to say, well, now you have a baby. If a baby is a person, how can a person have due process? So they ran a problem there with the 14th Amendment. And then they said, oh, we've got it. It says a baby is simply human and they're not yet a person. And they have divided humanity from personhood. A, a crazy division. And they never say, well, when does a human become a person? Is it when they have arms and legs? Is it when they have viability? Uh, when they can depend upon themselves? When does that happen? They never say. They just say simply, there's not due process there because an unborn is not yet a person. It's simply human. How can you divide humanity from personhood? But this is what the forces of evil have done in our culture to escape and redefine the very constitution upon which our nation stands. And then we move and say, well, a woman has freedom of choice as if that gives license to choose anything. No one lives an autonomous life, folks. We have the freedom of choice. I can take this speaker and kick it. I can go and just take Ronnie Gajeski and hit him right in the nose. That is my choice. But that's not the right, just the thing of choice. Doesn't mean there's a choice to determine whether a life lives or a life dies or a life is killed in the womb of a mother. That is the most bizarre, crazy argument. Well, we've heard it so much, we think it's some kind of right inherent that females have, it is not. And all the radical feminists, they talk about, well, you know, a female has these special privileges as this part there, a feminist. And abortion makes them more female than they were before because they made this choice. They control their own life. You've heard of the Amazon woman? Way back in the tribes of South America, the Amazon women sometimes would cut off a breast. And they would do this so they could fight better, so they could perform in masculine feats. And that is a symbol of what happens, just a metaphor for what happens when a breast is cut off. The breast is used to provide milk for the baby and under the breast is the heart. And those two icons, the breast and the heart are divided and a female doesn't become more feminine but they begin to lose their femininity. And when you go to these Planned Parenthood places, they tell you how easy and how cheap and it's all covered and how this problem will be behind you and the timing is wrong. They don't tell you all the follow through, follow through byproducts that happened to so, so many females who walked down this trail. It's like listening to commercials. I love these commercials. They have their, they're espousing some kind of medicine. Well, if you take this, you, you'll be able to live with whatever your ailment is. And then they said, but they could have these 
other, other conditions. And they name the most heinous list, you know, cancer, heart, uh, pancreas. I mean, they go on and on while you see this function just bouncing around and happy and so smiling. If you take this, you will be able to live with it. It will handle this. And they say, but the byproducts could be. I say, my goodness, I'm going to stay away from that. And this is what we don't hear. It, it, it's the byproduct of this deadly thing that's a part of our culture and a part of our society. And all of a sudden, we have a whole nother agenda before us. We have to understand that human beings are born with a stamp with the face of God, the image of God on them. Human beings, every human being is shaped and planned, and that's a a figure there, an idea of how intimately God cares and has for every life. Therefore, the bottom line is, life is holy. Life is sacred. It's of God. It's a sacred thing. It has to be handled and dealt with and understood as something that is very sacred, made in the image of God shaped by the very hand of God, the sacredness of life. It's a gigantic givenness of every life, your life, my life, and the life of a fetus in every womb in the world. But here we are. We live in a culture of death. We want to find the culture of life. But let me tell you something. Did you know that the slave owner and the pro-choicers are just alike? Those who own slave, the slave owners, are just like those who are pro-abortion. So explain that. We know back Dred Scott went before the Supreme Court and those unelected robe wonders decided that a slave was property. Slave was not a person. Dred Scott, ruled by our U.S. Supreme Court, said a slave is not a person. You can do what you want to with a slave. It's property. That is the same thing that happened to Roe v. Wade. They, they said that, that baby is not a person. That, that baby, it, it is just property. You can kill it if you want to kill it. A pro-abortioner and a slave owner had the same mentality. And the Supreme Court gave basically the same judgment that that life in the womb and that life as a slave is not really a human person and a human being. And you can kill it if you want to because it's just another piece of property. We live in this kind of world. In 1918, before the U.S. Senate, a bill was proposed because the dilemma was what happens when a child is aborted and the child comes out in the world and that aborted child is still alive. And the bill was proposed in which that the doctor then had to do everything he could to keep that baby alive. But they voted on this in the Senate, 
and 44 senators, minority passed, 44 senators said infanticide to kill a baby outside the womb that is alive would be okay with them. 44 senators, United States senators, 44 voted not to make infanticide illegal and every single one of them was a Democrat. I am speaking politically because a political party has sold out and when 44 senators would not vote to say that infanticide is wrong and illegal and immoral, they've left me and they have, in my opinion, left Almighty God. But I've got good news. I've got good news. You remember Taliqua, the whale? Stamped J-35. Two weeks ago, she was seen off the coast there in the Pacific. And she was swimming. And by her was swimming a newborn baby calf. And they describe that calf, they know the whale, as swimming beautifully and freely and wonderfully in the waters of the ocean. I've got even better good news than that. You remember the little candy apple baby that was born and they put it in a closet to die? Remember? Remember that one? What happened was two nurses came and broke everything of the hospital rules. They could have been fired. They could have been prosecuted. And they went in that closet and they found that little two-pound, 13-ounce baby and they took it to another hospital at night. And doctors came and rescued that baby and that little baby lived. The mother, you remember, who fought as hard as she could for her, that baby, not to be aborted some 38 years before. Now this little baby, Melissa Ogden, had grown up in a wonderful family. And after she was five, she had no scars indicating there would ever been any problem. And 38 years later, she found out who her birth mother was. And she called that birth mother who just knew that, man, that little baby was killed and aborted when she was a teenager against her will. She called that birth mother. It was like a resurrection. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Our God is a God of redemption. Ladies and gentlemen, our God is a God of life. (laughs) 
by the way. Exodus, chapter number one, there were two other nurses named Shifra and Pura. Huh, who in the world are they? When Pharaoh said, kill all the baby boys that are born, these are two nurses, two midwives. Shifra and Pura said, we're not going to do it. And they took those baby boys, instead of throwing in the Nile, they clandestinely gave them back to their mothers. And they lived. Those nurses that went in that closet back there 38 years ago, they were modern Shifra and Pura. And let me tell you something else. You go to the crisis pregnancy centers in this city, I saw a lady last week who works there. She said, I saved two lives this morning. Little teenagers who would give. And we have another, many in our church, we give money there, we support that. Many in my church, we have one lady who works at a toll booth. When she gives off more every day, she goes to the crisis pregnancy center and she counsels for life. She said, I save four, I save five, I save 10. I save how many lives are saved there in this kind of biblical Christian counseling? My goodness, we're at a war. If someone saved 10, 15, 20, 30, 1,000 lives, well, they'd get the Congressional Medal of Honor. They'd be on the front page of every newspaper, life that had been saved. This is what we can do. This is how we can support. This is how we can give. This is how we can get involved. Because ladies and gentlemen, the body of Christ in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and our good God Almighty, we're in the business of life. 